afternoon. I think it's just right on time for us to make a start. So welcome to the next in our Hot Topics series. And our topic this afternoon is depression and burnout. And our speakers are Robert Lugar and Twala Andrino. And many of you will know this is something that Robert and Twala and the rest of the team at One Another Ministries are uh, very experienced in dealing with. And uh, we're very grateful that they've been willing to come and share some of that this evening. As Robert was just saying, it's kind of an impossible task to deal with a topic like this adequately in an hour or so. But we appreciate you both coming and uh, giving us a broad view. And there will be a chance for questions and answers as well. So I'm just going to pray and then I'll hand shit over to uh, Robert and Twala, whichever the order is going to be. Father, we thank you that you know us perfectly, you made us, and you know how we work. Uh, you know the ways that things can go wrong in our lives and in our minds and in other ways. And um, we realize that this topic this afternoon is something that touches almost all of us, either personally or with someone very close to us. And so I pray that you'll help us. Help Robert and Twala as they present uh, information from your word and from their own expertise and experience in dealing with this uh, subject and this issue. And I pray that we will all uh, learn together and be helped. And uh, we pray that we will be uh, reassured by the end of this that there is help and hope available for ourselves and for those we know who are dealing with this issue maybe even right now. So we ask for your help and blessing on this time. Amen. Good afternoon. Is this okay? Okay. Um, when, uh, thank you for letting us come this afternoon and share a little bit about some of the things that we do deal with on a daily basis. And um, when Tim first talked about this being a hot topic, it took me a minute to kind of get that in my mind. But then I thought, you know, it, it is a hot topic. It's so hot <laughs> that we tend to shy away from talking about it. And I think that um, it's really good that here in the church we have the opportunity to speak freely about this because it is something that I think most of us have dealt with maybe several times in our life, and we may even have someone in our family he may be dealing with a very severe case of depression or burnout. <clears throat> it always um, amazes me that we're very reluctant to take care of our emotions. Um, if I had a broken foot, <laughs> I wouldn't think twice about going to the emergency room. And if the doctor told me, you need an x-ray, I wouldn't say to him, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I would say, yes, I'll have an x-ray. And if he says, you need a cast on your leg, I would say, yes, I wouldn't even think twice, would I, about that. But when I'm having some emotional issues, I'm very reluctant to, number one, let anybody know that I'm having those issues, and secondly, to even see that I need to have some help and that I might need to get some, you know, some professional help with that. <clears throat> so we're going to try in the time that we have allotted to us tonight to um, just give you a a bird's eye view of some of the important things that about um, depression and 
um, burnout. So if you do have some issues, we're hoping that you will feel very comfortable by the end of this talk to understand that all of us deal with this and it is something that um, you know, we often need help with. Um, we do want to make a difference um, between what professionals would call clinical depression and those of you, I know we have some doctors and therapists out there as well. Um, <clears throat> we want to make a difference between clinical depression, which is on this side of the scale, um, and just having like a low day. You know, we've all had some days when we're just feeling blue and we blame it on the weather, which of course is a really good excuse here in this country. <clears throat> you know, the more gray it is, the more likely you are to be gray as well. So the word that we're using, depression, um, you know, if you press on something, it's lower, right? And even with the weather, that means that there's a low coming through. And when we feel lower, it's usually, well, a lot of different reasons, as we're going to see. Um, but sometimes it's just a, a low mood. I'm sad today. I don't really even know why I'm sad today, but I'm sad. Um, might just be, um, you know, after a rough day at work. I've just had a really hard day at work today. I feel a little down. So this is on this end of the scale, right? Where we're just having a rough, a rough patch or some difficult thing that we've had to go through. And then on the other end over here, we're going to call those things a lot more important, like traumas, grief, loss, uh, losing a loved one, and those kind of things. And sometimes, if that lasts for a long period of time, then you do need some extra help. So depression can go from mild to not lasting very long, and you can kind of get through it pretty quickly, to moderate, where you might need some help from friends and outside sources, some encouragement. And then, you know, way over here on the other side of the scales where you might actually need to go get some professional help. Um, there are going to be periods of depression in our lifetime. Um, and, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with that. God has made us with the rhythm of life where sometimes we're giving out and we're full. Our cup is full and we're giving out. And other times where we're taking things in, where we need to refill our own cup. And we, it's, it's important to understand that that's really kind of part of life, and it's part of that, that rhythm of life that God has given us. Um, it's how he made us. So there's nothing to be ashamed of when we have those times when we're kind of down. Um, it can happen several times in a lifetime. Um, if you're only 10, then, you know, you might have been discouraged once or twice in your lifetime. But as you get older, there are a lot of things that can happen in your lifetime that might make you have to go through these times more than just once. And they can be very, you know, the levels can be varying. Sometimes you can handle it on your own, and sometimes, like I said, you might need some help. Um, what might cause me to be overwhelmed, and, you know, we can use all the words you want to. If you don't like the word depression... I worked with a gentleman not too long ago who refused to let me use that word. So we use stressed, overwhelmed, burnout. You know, any of those things pretty much arrive at the same feeling for you. Um, what, what may cause me to be overwhelmed and burned out may not be the same thing that causes you to be overwhelmed and burned out. We're all very different. Um, I might be able to have a car accident and get out and shake myself off and 
shake hands with the person, you know, go home and say, oh, I had a little scratch on my car, it's no big deal. Where to someone else that might be extremely traumatic to have a car wreck. So we are different. What makes us different? Well, a lot of things make us different. Um, we have our temperament, which is kind of a genetic thing, that you're either extroverted or introverted or somewhere on that continuum. Um, we have our family of origin, the way we were brought up at home, the way that we looked at things, the way our parents taught us to look at the world, um, different perspectives that we have. Uh, you know, they say that, I'll use the car wreck again, if there's an accident that happens out there and 10 people see it, you will get 10 different versions of what happened because we all have different perspective and we have different filters that we look at life through. So what, if, if I'm saying that I'm depressed and that I'm overwhelmed, then you should believe what I'm saying. Uh, you should take it seriously uh, and not say, oh, you shouldn't be sad. Oh, you shouldn't be depressed because what makes you feel one way may not be the same thing that hits me the same way. So very individual and very personal. Um, one of the things that, um, in the way of introduction, is just to say that when you are dealing with um, being overwhelmed, too stressed, um, depressed, um, it's not only going to affect you, it will affect the people around you. Um, coworkers, spouses, family, kids, they may not know exactly what's wrong with you, but they probably will notice a difference. And we'll get into some of those symptoms in just a second. Um, I think one of the reasons that we don't realize sometimes when we're going through the... I keep wanting to do this. Um, the reason that we don't always notice is because when we're in pain and when we're having a hard time, we tend to go inward because we're hurting. And we don't want to get hurt again. So we're protecting ourselves. And when we do that our eyes and everything kind of turn inwards and we don't always notice what's going on around us. We don't notice that the other people in our family may be, you know, having just as hard of a time. Um, I worked with a lady, I can talk about this because she's on a different continent and it was many, many years ago, who lost her daughter um, when she was 18. She was diagnosed with cancer and she lived another year. So she died when she was 19. And this was only, only child, only daughter, very traumatic for this mother. Um, for two years, I met with her almost weekly, and she just, her grief was so deep that she just had such a hard time. And about two years after we'd been working together, she came in, sat down, and she sat up, and she said, you know what? And I said, what? And she said, my husband is grieving. Grandma's grieving, her friends are grieving, other people are grieving. But she had been so depressed herself and so turned inward with her own pain that she didn't notice. So <clears throat> that's just something to, to know is that if you're going through a hard time, people around you are going to notice it and they're probably going to be affected as well. Okay, so now we're going to go into describing what some of the symptoms are like. <clears throat> For depression, stress, anxiety, all those things. In fact, the symptoms for depression will be very similar to a trauma that you might have had, grief of any kind. So you'll see a lot of similarities if you've done any trauma work or a grief group or lost someone. Um, 
we used to think that um, only those big traumas affected us in a very terrible way where we would need help. We call those the big T's, big traumas. But some of the research has shown over the last few years that an accumulation of little T's in your life can have just as much of an effect, if not even be harder on you, than some big trauma that happened. So if you've had a lot of things that have happened during your lifetime, let me just say this, without processing them, without dealing with them, without working on them, if you've just kind of swept them under the rug thinking that it'll go away, I'll be able to handle this, well, make no mistake, it will pop back up. So the accumulation, a lot of little things can sometimes have just as drastic an effect on you as a huge trauma. So the first um, symptom is exhaustion. And i rather use the word fatigue because it's not just being tired. It's actually where you, you get to the point where you just can't go any further. You don't have anything else. You've used all your coping skills. You've used everything that you knew how to do to try to get through a hard time, and you just don't have anything left. Um, like you're depleted, just completely empty. And that will actually, as we will see in just a second, actually have a physical effect on you as well. Um, I worked in a cancer center for many years, and I used to think that the hardest thing about going through cancer would be nausea, vomiting, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not. The thing that comes out on the top of everybody's list is fatigue, a tiredness that no one can really explain. Um, It kind of causes your whole system to slow down. Everything slows down. That's why you, uh, some of the other symptoms that follow here are going to make sense. Um, And one thing that we see a lot in our ministry is God force quitting people uh, who will not stop on their own, who will not take the time to care for themselves, and they really basically just hit the wall. Uh, They end up in an emergency room and cannot go any further. They can't get out of bed, and that's, they're just completely depleted and exhaustion, <clears throat> exhausted. So um, this lack of energy and this fatigue, it's not something where you say, oh, I'll go to bed at 8 tonight, and by the time I wake up tomorrow, I'll feel better. Uh, so you can't catch up on it just over a night's sleep. It's actually a physical um, issue in your body where things are depleted and a night's sleep is not going to help. Um, People describe this exhaustion as, um, I've I've heard so many different things, but like I'm in a well and I'm trying to climb out of this well and I just cannot get out. Um, I'm in a desert and I am just exhausted. I can't put another foot forward. I feel like I have a lead blanket over my head and I just can't push it off. and, you know, other things like that cloud following you around over your head, just keeping you from doing the things that you want to do. So those are mainly the symptoms of um, exhaustion, this fatigue. It's number one on nearly all of the list. Um, another thing that we see is um, decreased self-esteem, um, where you're not feeling good about yourself. And part of that, I think, comes from the fact that you are so tired that you don't have the energy to do the things that you like to do. 
You don't have, you're not enjoying the things that you should be enjoying. And so therefore, like I said, we're kind of turned inward, aren't we? We start thinking that we're the problem. I am no good. I'm worthless. I can't get anything done. I, I'm just no good anymore. Get to where I even don't like myself anymore. So it all becomes very negative. It's almost like you took these glasses, these negative glasses, and you put them on, and everything that you see is going to look that way, very negative. Um, the extreme um, of that, of this isolation and not caring about yourself and just wanting to not be anymore is, of course, um, you know, suicide. Um, it's a hard thing to talk about because we don't like to hear about that. But sometimes people get to the place where they're actually hopeless enough. They don't see any hope. And so they, the only thing they can think of is just to end their life. Um, working with people who are not Christians, which I have in the past, it's very, very difficult to find hope for them. Um, in Christ, we have hope. There's always a solution. There's always someone to help you through this. And so you can find hope. But if you're not a Christian, sometimes that can be very difficult. Um, there is a big difference, though, between, if you're looking for symptoms, there's a big difference in those thoughts where you're thinking, this is just a mess, and I just don't see any hope. It might be better if I just went on to heaven, you know? Lord, just come and get me now. It would be good. Or I just think it might be better for everybody else if I weren't here anymore. And, you know, people have those thoughts. We all have those thoughts at some point in time. But there is a difference between having thoughts like that. They're about like right here on the continuum. And the actual thoughts of suicide where you have a plan, where you've picked what you're going to do, where you're going to do it, and how you're going to do it, and when you're going to do it. And, of course, um, I know back years ago, um, we used to say, or people used to say, oh, not everybody that cries suicide is really going to do it, so don't pay attention. But we know now, we know much better. If anybody says anything resembling that at all, please see that as a cry for help. They need help, and they need you to get them to somebody to, to be able to help them. At that point, they would need professional help. Okay, so we've got exhaustion, the great uh, decreased self-esteem and not feeling good about myself. And then we have emotional manifestations. Who made, who made feelings? God made feelings. And some of them are happy side and some of them are on the sad side. But God did make feelings. And so we don't need to negate them or pretend like they're non-existent. Um, if someone tells you they're feeling happy, then rejoice with them, right? And if someone tells you that they're having some fear or some, some anxiety... Don't poo-poo it, as we would say, but listen to them because they're obviously looking for some help, right? Um, when I think about all of the, the emotional symptoms that are um, affiliated with depression, it's kind of like a coin with two sides. One side is what we would normally think of. Sadness, crying, staying in my room, staying in my bed. And those are all symptoms of depression. But the other side of the coin is irritability, racing thoughts, biting at people, feeling uncomfortable in my skin. And what we see, what research shows us, and we see this in our 
everyday um, dealings that men tend to be more on this side of the coin as well as children and teenagers. Can children deal with depression? Yes, unfortunately they do. Um, They may not be able to articulate that to you, but it would show in acting out at school, just acting very differently from what they normally are dealing with. Sometimes they do isolate, um, but teens are like that as well. They're more likely to be a little angry and to show out than to have the other side of this coin that we see with um, more with women, not necessarily. Like I said, there's two sides to the coin, so all of those symptoms are uh, part of the emotional manifestation. Um, so some of the others are loss of pleasure. I don't want to go out with my friends anymore. I don't want to read the books that I used to read. I don't want to play the games I played before. I don't want to talk to anybody on the phone. I don't want to get up and go to coffee morning. So it, it's just a, a general, I don't, I don't care anymore. I don't have the energy to care anymore about the things that I used to enjoy and have fun with. So that can be a sign when you're looking for some emotional manifestations. Uh, sadness, of course. Um, anxiety, too. Um, they're all kind of inter- interwoven. Uh, you can have some fear when you're depressed as well. Uh, and it can even be like a generalized fear. You're not really sure where it all came from, where it started. But it can be part of the symptoms of, uh, of depression. Uh, pessimism, like I said, um, just having those negative glasses on. Everything you look at, oh, that's not going to work. I don't want to go. No, that, I don't like that person. Everything just looks very negative. It's kind of the glass half empty, but all the time. So, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of hard to deal with for family members sometimes. Guilt is another one that kind of shows up. And I want to make sure that I make the difference between real guilt and false guilt. Real guilt is of the Lord. That's when the Holy Spirit nudges us when we're kind of off of the path and we've committed a sin in some way and he's trying to pull us back into the fold closer to the Lord. He's encouraging us, you know, to be edified with God again. False guilt are all those negative feelings that you feel Oh, I should have done this. might have been better if I'd done that. If I had just thought about that. Those are, um, that's false guilt. Because it's not edifying to you. It's not bringing anybody else up. Anything that's bringing you down, you know that that is not of the Lord. So make sure that you're very careful when you're feeling guilty to ask yourself, is that false or is that real guilt? But there is a lot of guilt that goes on with someone who's dealing with depression. Um, Some racing thoughts, um, just feeling like everybody's out to get you, everybody is critical. But once again, it's because you've turned inward and you don't really see rightly about what's going on out here. You're just so, just trying to make it, just trying to survive. And so you don't always see things clearly. Um, Then we have some physical and behavioral manifestations. It actually does affect your body. Um, In clinical depression, when you get to the point where you actually need some help, um, and Robert's going to go into that medication um, need of that sometimes, um, it is because there, there is a biochemical element to this. 
just like when you break your bone, there's a physical element to that. There's a physical element to depression as well. Um, depletion of oh, a number of things. Um, serotonin, dopamine, uh, minerals in your body, um, other chemicals and hormones. There can be all kinds of things that cause um, you know, the physical, uh, biochemical part of it. Um, another physical thing is sleep. Um, all doctors and, and therapists, when you go and see them, they usually have four or five main questions, and sleep is always going to be part of it. Um, sleep disturbances when you are depressed can be, I'm sleeping way too much, and you know, then your family's going to notice this is not right, you're sleeping way too many hours. Or you can have those extremely sleepless nights, insomnia. Um, Sleep is a huge issue, and if you have gone two, three, four days without sleep, you need to get some help because it can cause havoc in your body outside of depression even. Sleep is very important. Um, you know, in the POW camps, Japanese, Korea, and those, they didn't need sophisticated torture tools. They just kept people awake kept them from sleeping three, four, five days, and then they would tell everything they knew because they just, uh, it, it just causes complete havoc in your, in your life. So you want to make sure that you watch out for those steep, uh, sleep disturbances. Appetites change. Some people eat a whole lot more because they're stressed out. Some people eat nothing because they are not capable of swallowing anything. Um, another one is focus. It's really hard to focus, to concentrate. It's hard to make a decision. Um, you, you might even notice in the beginning that oh, I used to really enjoy reading a chapter or two of my book every day. I can't even focus. I read this paragraph ten times. Something's not right. Now, just because that happens doesn't mean you're necessarily depressed, right? These are some of the symptoms of depression. Um, you'll find yourself sometimes saying, I can't watch a whole one-and-a-half or two-hour movie. I can't concentrate. I don't even know what the plot was anymore. So um, he's going to help you learn how to take care of that as well coming up. But concentrating, remembering, focusing, all those things are um, symptoms. Um, withdrawal, avoidance, isolation, staying in my room, not coming out, those kind of things. Being more irritable, frustrated, agitated. Um, a change becomes very difficult. We become rigid, not flexible. And if anybody talks about changing anything, we're just like, no, no can't handle that now. I can't deal with that now. That is another sign uh, of depression. And then lastly, um, I'll stop with fragile health. Um, we talked, uh, talked in the beginning about how it slows everything down in your body. It slows everything down in your body, including your immune system. So you are very just out there open to catch just about anything that comes by. Um, another thing I just wanted to mention at this point, um, people who have long-term illnesses, diabetes, heart disease, um, other things uh, that confine them to home or keep them from going to work or being with people, uh, over a long period of time, it's, it's what we call a, co a comorbid issue. It, it just means that you're most likely are going to deal with depression. Uh, after someone's had a heart attack, when they go to cardiac rehab, they tell them, 
If you don't have, if you don't feel a little depressed, then we're going to worry about you. So anything that's in the physical domain um, that is long-standing means that you probably are going to deal with a little bit of depression there as well. Okay, I think my time is up, and I will pass this on to Robert. Okay, thank you very much, Twala, for giving us that excellent description of um, depression and some of the ways it can feel and look, and obviously it can look very differently for different people and have all kinds of different symptoms. And um, as Twala said, this is just kind of a bird's eye view. And in fact, I would go a little farther and say this is like a 30,000 feet flyover of just some of the high points because there's so much more that we could hit on all of these things. Uh, for the rest of the time we want to spend, can just kind of let you know what's coming, we want to spend some time talking about causes. What, what are some of the causes of depression and burnout, and then some ideas for treatment. And then we want to hopefully leave some time for questions and answers at the end. So we want to talk a little bit about causes. As we get into that, um, can anyone tell me what, what the cause of a headache is? What is the cause of a headache? There's dozens of them, right? I and mean, we could mention, we could probably go around the room and everyone mention a different one. Haven't had my morning caffeine yet, didn't get enough sleep, I, my blood sugar's low, my muscle, have muscle tension in my neck, or all the way up to brain tumor and thousands of things in between. So the idea is we know that the, the, a headache is a symptom. It's a condition that can be caused by so many different things. So if we want to deal with it adequately, we have to know what is causing that particular headache and treat that thing. Um, it's similar with depression in that sense, in the sense that depression is also a condition, almost a symptom that can be caused by dozens of different things. So if we want to look at what to do about it, we have to know what's causing this particular depression and, and where is this one coming from. So when we're talking about um, causes, we especially want to, uh, we're going to talk about four different main categories of causes. And uh, they're very broad categories, and there could be a lot of things in the middle of them, but just to give us some idea of what some of them are, the first category that we're going to be talking about is situational and behavioral things, causes. And situational is things that happen to us, situations that we find ourselves in. Behavioral is things that we do. And you might say, well, those are two different things. And you'd be absolutely right. They are. Things that happen to us are not always exactly necessarily the same as, as the things that we're doing. But they are interrelated, and especially when we get to uh, the treatments are a little bit interrelated. So we're kind of lumping those two groups together and going to be talking about them together. Some of the situational and behavioral causes. And a big one, has already touched on a couple of them, though the one that really stands out and comes to mind is grief. That's one of the biggest things that we see, bereavement and grief. And we have seen that that is pretty much a universal response. That is how God built us. And I have heard people say that, oh, no, if you are suffering depression, it just means you're not spiritual enough. You haven't read your Bible enough or prayed enough or whatever. 
Um, fortunately, God in his word lets us know that that's not necessarily the case. He has, told, he has given us passages in his word. Go back to the, the first book of the Bible that God gave us was what? The first book in the Bible that we have is Genesis. The first one that was written was probably Job, the book of Job. So we know the story of Job, and Job was there. And in that story, we fortunately have the privilege of having a person who is specifically identified by God as being a godly person. And as pointed out in, uh, with all the people in the earth, when God is looking for an example of a spiritual godly person, Job is the one he points to. So that gives us the indication that Job was probably the most or at least one of the most spiritual people alive on the planet at the time, wouldn't you say? And yet, when Job suffered great loss, you remember all the losses, the, the financial security, the loss of his reputation, the loss of his health, the loss of his children, he went through all of those losses he suffered tremendous depression. You can't read the book of Job without seeing his depression coming through. Hey, he, cursing the day that he was born, wishing that he had died in childbirth, and all of the different things that we can see that, that deep depression that he was suffering. And that, that and so many other things give us that clue that this is part of how God has built us that God has built us as humans for whatever reason, that when we suffer great loss, that we will also go through a certain time of depression. And that depression, as Dwala said, can, can vary in degree and it can vary in length of time. But um, when a very spiritual person suffers great loss and goes through a time of depression, we don't worry about them too much. When that same person goes through great loss and doesn't show any signs of any depression at all, that's when we actually do start worrying a little bit and wondering what's going on here. Why are we, are we in denial or are we, just, are we not dealing with things or what's going on? So that's one of the big ones, the, the bereavement and loss. And that can be anything from the loss of a, a family member, a good friend, a loved one, uh, it can be all kinds of different losses. When our system is processing those losses, there will normally be a certain time of, as Twala said, that indentation, that depression that we go through. And we'll talk a little bit more about the mechanics of it in just a minute. So the one is bereavement, that, that great loss. It's normal to go through, as we, I'm sure we've all heard about those stages of of grief and grieving, of death and dying, grief and grieving. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross did that study many years ago, and it's, you know, those sorts of things are pretty much universally accepted now, that there will be that time of depression after great bereavement. A second situational cause for depression can be those traumas that Twala mentioned, and she talked about that a little bit, so we won't spend a lot of time on that. The big T's or the little T's that can lead us to a time of depression in our lives. The behavioral ones is what we're going to talk about a little bit more uh, because it's, we're talking about this idea of depression and burnout and how are those ideas related. So this is where it gets into that idea of burnout. And the burnout, 
there are different ways of looking at it. Is, is depression a symptom of burnout or is it one stage on the continuum? And we're going to look at an idea that, that hopefully will be helpful for us as we think about that idea. And just think about this scene. Hope you can all see it at least a little bit. Um, a person here in their kayak on this river or lake and floating along and the water level is pretty high and maybe you can see that right about here there's some rocks and things under the water. But the idea is that the way God has designed us and built us is that in our system we all have a certain capacity or reservoir of coping energy. And that's not the same thing as physical energy. It's more of an emotional coping energy. It's that energy that we use throughout the day to solve problems and make decisions and do all of the things that we need to do during the day. And when our system is healthy and that level of coping energy is high, we're floating through life in our little kayak and all those rocks which represent the problems and the crises and the difficulties and even the emotions are way under the water. We hardly even feel them. We don't notice them because we're paddling along and there's plenty of coping energy available to deal with all those things that are down there under the water. The idea is in our lives there are certain things that use up or discharge that coping energy and other things that recharge it. And so if our reservoir started off full, but over a certain amount of time, maybe, we are, I mean, we can all do the math. If there's more discharging going on than recharging, eventually the water level is going to go down, isn't it? Or we can even hit those major things, like the, the grief and the loss and the bereavement and the trauma, and those will take up just huge amounts of that coping energy. And so when that coping energy starts going down, now we find ourselves hitting a few more of those rocks. And uh, those things that we wouldn't have noticed before because the energy level was high, now all of a sudden we're bumping up against them or scraping them or it's throwing us around a little bit more and eventually starts tearing holes in the bottom of our, <laughs> of our canoe. And then eventually, if we're not careful, um, the coping energy is gone and we're just sitting there on the bottom of a dry lake in our boat. And that's what we would think of as a catatonic state where a person at that point has no coping energy left and they can't cope with life, can't get out of bed, can't tie their own shoes, can't decide what they want for breakfast or anything else. And people can get there. We've seen people get there. And so having that image in our mind can help us in this whole idea of kind of the burnout and the depression. It can be anywhere from that coping energy level is high and we're healthy and everything is in pretty good shape. And then as that level starts dropping, we start using words like a little bit tired or fatigued or exhausted or shattered or discouraged, and then we start using words like burnout and depression and then eventually catatonic state. So there is that whole continuum of as that coping energy level goes down, the situation becomes more serious. So we are in a little while going to be looking at some of the 
um, some of what we can do about that, but it's helpful just to have that image in the mind. And when we're thinking about even burnout, that's kind of part of what's going on. There has been more depletion of that coping energy than there has been restoration, and so eventually we've used it all up. Um, just for some definitions, because it's spending a little bit more time on the burnout. Burnout, the definition of it as we talk about it is the breakdown of coping mechanisms due to severe cumulative stress. And it's that these things have happened and have used up our coping energy and now the things, the coping mechanisms, the things that we usually do to get through life and to deal with life aren't working anymore and have just broken down. We talk about an inability to meet demands in burnout, and those can be external demands. All of a sudden, the demands that I used to be able to meet from family or friends or job or culture or whatever it is, I just can't do it anymore. And sometimes those demands are internal, aren't they? I'm putting those demands on myself, that the perfectionism or the, the belief that I should be able to fix anything. I should be able to fix all the problems in my family or in my church or in my neighborhood or all of those things. So that inability to meet those demands, either the external ones that others are putting on me or the internal ones that I'm putting on myself. Talk about that depletion of, of coping energy, that lack of balance. And it can even also involve just fatigue, lack of sleep, lack of getting the rest and the restoration that I need. So those are some of the situational and behavioral things, the causes that can lead to depression and a depressive state. Um, just briefly, we're gonna touch on a few of the other causes. The other, one other category of causes is emotional things. And again, when talking about the emotional causes, we have to talk about loss and grief. And, and we say, well, why is that different? We just talked about the, the loss and the grief and the situational things. And it's true that sometimes those losses are external and they are part of the situation. Things that come from outside, if a friend has passed away or loss of a job. A lot of times those losses are emotional things, are internal things a loss of hope, a loss of vision, loss a death of my goals or of my dreams, or a loss of relationship, a loss of what I thought I was going to be able to do with my life. So it can involve those losses, whether they're external or internal things. Uh, we also see a lot of the other emotional causes of depression can be that anger and frustration and bitterness that we haven't dealt with. And when we allow those things to build up in our lives and hold on to them and, and push them down and don't deal with them, those things can also eventually lead to depression. So the next big category that we're gonna talk about, okay, causes their situational and behavioral, emotional, um, are also biochemical causes. Uh, some depressions are caused by imbalance of chemicals in our bodies. Some of it can be, have a genetic basis. There are certain people who are, who are more likely to be depressed because of their genetic makeup. It runs in certain families and there is a genetic predisposition to being more depressed. 
So it can have that biochemical element. Sometimes it's hormonal imbalances, and it's things that can happen to us through life. Sometimes it's because of different things going on uh, with different glands in our body that throw the, the hormones out of balance. Sometimes it can just be an imbalance of certain chemicals or certain minerals in our body can, can throw the balance off in our body and lead to depression. Uh, sometimes that biochemical element can be a reaction to drugs or to different medicines. It doesn't have to be street drugs. It can be different medicines. A lot of medicines that are commonly prescribed for different conditions a lot of cancer medications, hypertension medications, a lot of different medications, one of the side effects of them is depression that often happens with that. And so there can be a lot of chemical things going on in our body um, that can lead to depression. And the chemical imbalance is always a little tricky because as Twala said, all depression is chemical. Uh, and to understand that, we think that, okay, they're all different causes of depression. So some depressions, the actual cause was chemical. And it was, there was an imbalance of chemicals in the body that caused the depression. But even the other depressions that weren't caused by a chemical imbalance, once the system is depressed, that changes the chemicals in our body. The chemicals in our brain change and other chemicals happen. So some of the some depressions start with a chemical imbalance, but then whatever the cause, initial cause was, once the depression is in full swing, there will always be chemicals involved in it because the depression changes uh, the chemicals inside the brain and inside the body. Then the, the last cause that we're looking at and thinking about is spiritual and spiritual causes. And Twala touched on that a little bit too. And one of the things that we see and think about is, is guilt. And she talked about that, the different kinds of guilt, the real guilt and the false guilt. We see that in the Bible. It talks about it, doesn't it? In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, where he talks about the guilt or sorrow or sadness that leads to repentance and the sadness that leads to death. And that that good guilt is that kind that, as Twala said, pushes us to restore our relationship with God and pushes us to repentance. But then there's also a, a, a false guilt or a bad guilt. It can be guilt over the wrong things, guilt about getting caught instead of about what I really did or all the different. The, the, it says the guilt of the world leads to death. And so there can be that false guilt also or the wrong kinds of of guilt that can push people into depressive states. So, as I said, that's just a real high overview, 30,000 foot overview of some of the things that can cause depression. Uh, we want to look at <laughs> the better side of it is a little bit, what, okay, what can we do about it? And we're going to have to hurry through this because we do want to leave a little bit of time for some questions and answers. Okay, so then in treating... The, the different kinds of depression, whatever the cause was. Let me mention just a few things before we get into the, the treatments for the different categories and things that we always need to think about. One thing, when we're around someone who is suffering from depression, as Twala touched on a little bit, we always need to evaluate suicide potential. 
And if there is someone that is in a serious depression, we need to take that risk seriously. We need to know, is this person, uh, have they thought about hurting themselves or suicide? And if they, had, if they say that they had a long time ago, but they're not anymore, still we need to have them promise to us in writing or at least verbally that promise me you will not hurt yourself or take your life without coming to me and talking to me first. If the person has gone a little farther and says, yes, I not only had I thought about that a long time ago, but I'm thinking about it now, about harming myself or even suicide, then we kind of need to go up to, okay, well, then this person shouldn't be alone, and we need to start building a support system a little bit more carefully around them. Or if they've gone to that step of, yes, not only am I thinking about it, I have a plan in place, then they need to be under professional care immediately, and we need to make sure that happens. So we need to take that, that risk seriously. The other thing, um, as we're thinking about healing and uh, treatment, we need to realize that healing from depression is not a linear process. Okay, so here I am now in this depressed state and I'm starting treatment for it. It's not just going to be a line like that getting better. It is a process that goes around in circles and takes a few steps forward and a few steps back and there will be waves and some better times and some worse times, so we need to be ready for that. And we need to allow plenty of time. As Twala said, it's not going to just be fixed by a good night's sleep. Sometimes a good night's sleep is a good thing, and that is one step on the long road to recovery, but the good night's sleep isn't going to fix it all. And a lot of times when we are looking at um, depression that is related to um, a major bereavement, or depression that's related to a major burnout, we are definitely thinking in terms of months and often many months, 12 to 18 months, rather than thinking in terms of days or weeks. So we need to be willing to allow plenty of time. Another thing when we're in all the different categories, we'll talk about this now because it applies to whatever the cause of the depression was, we need to carefully monitor our thought process, and our self-talk. And as we have said, all depression has a chemical element. We found that it's pretty much universal, too, that all depression has an element of negative self-talk and negative thoughts. We refer to them as ants. Where sometimes we just get invaded by ants, A-N-T, automatic negative thoughts. It doesn't matter what happens, those ants come and attack us. They're just automatic negative, and we need to be aware of that. We need to squash the ants. We need to challenge them with the truth. A lot of times we're not telling ourselves truth and biblical truth, and we start believing lies, like I'm alone, and there is no hope, and no one loves me, and no one cares about me. And we know that's not true because God tells us differently. He does love us and accept us, and he will never leave us or forsake us. And so we need to make sure that we're telling ourselves those truths. So then, with that kind of as a basis, just think about the idea, okay, when we're thinking about treating depression, the bottom line is the, the treatment will need to correspond with the cause. And so if the cause is situational and behavioral, then there will usually be that element of changing our behaviors. We can't change the situation, 
but we can deal with the situation. We can process it properly. We can allow time and use that time to honestly and adequately process the, the emotions and the situations, being honest with ourselves, being honest with God, being honest with some safe people that are around us in order to process those things and to leave room for healing to take place, realizing that it is going to take some time. While we're doing that, we need to be careful to stay connected with community. You mentioned that one of those symptoms of depression is the withdrawal and the isolation. And if, when we are healing, we need, we need the people around us. We need the community. We need to, even when it's not comfortable, we need to um, kind of make ourselves reach out of our shell and stay connected with the people around us, that proper support system. And it needs to be people who will tell us the truth, who are committed to God's truth and to our good and who will tell us the truth and who, who will be that reality check for us. Um, just a little bit of a, a parenthesis, if we find ourselves in the position of being the one offering support and being that support system for someone who is depressed, just a couple of things to think about. One is we, we often need to resist the urge to talk. Don't feel that we need to say something. It's, it is enough often to be with the person who is there going through the difficulty, to show them that you care about them enough to be with them. We think again with the book of Job. It's interesting, Job had gone through all of these terrible losses and these three friends show up. And it's interesting, it says that for the first seven days, they sat with him and didn't say anything. And it was during those seven days that they were actually being friends. And then they opened their mouths and blew it. Because then they just messed up the whole thing from then on. But during those first seven days, when they were just sitting there with him, not saying anything, they were actually doing probably what was the best thing, showing him that support. Okay, so we don't need to, to feel the need to talk. Uh, but when we do talk, we really need to resist giving easy answers or cliches. We need to resist the temptation to say things like just or at least... Well, at least yours wasn't as bad as someone else's, so at least you didn't have to go through. Well, you'd, all you need to do is... So we need to resist all of those easy, cliche-type answers and listen, be there. We need to often resist the urge to tell our own story unless they ask for it. Um, because they're, they're suffering in their situation. And we need to enter into their situation with them. We don't um, need to give in to the urge to tell our own story. Okay, so the idea of the burnout. Remember the person sitting there um, in their boat on the dry riverbed? We can all do math, right? Okay, so the person got there because more of the coping energy was discharged than was recharged. So what might be a way of getting out of that situation. Change the equation, right. Get some more recharging things and some less discharging things. We need to look at those categories. And we need to look at, okay, what are the things that are using up 
the coping energy in my life? Which of those can I put off? Which of those can I do differently? Which of those can I think about differently so that they're not quite so discharging? What are the things that recharge my life and how can I do more of those? How can I build more of those into my life? A lot of this is the idea of the Sabbath principle that God talks about in Scripture right from the beginning, from the Garden of Eden, how God built us to have um, those cycles in our life, periods of hard work and expending and giving out and periods of restful celebration that recharge us. And we need to have both sides of those cycles in our lives. And if we are in a point now where we are low, okay, let's do the maths here. If, if our reservoir is full and we're balanced in the sense that the same amount of coping energy going out as coming in, where will we end up? Well, we'll stay the same, won't we? It'll stay full. Okay, now, if our reservoir is empty and we are doing the same amount of discharging as recharging, where will we end up? Well, we stay empty, right? And that's the problem a lot of people that come up hard, come up with in the whole idea of the burnout. If people have been in a situation of much more discharging than recharging, and they have gotten to a very low place, now they say, okay, I will, I will make my life more balanced so it will be better. Well, okay, arriving at balance at that point will probably keep you from going down any farther, but it doesn't mean it will help you recharge and get better. So if our life has been out of balance in the wrong way for quite a bit of time to a point that we are um, experiencing some burnout and depression, it's probably going to need to be out of balance in the other way for a while so that we can heal. And I know some people don't like the word balance and don't like for our lives to be balanced. I actually read a book not long ago where this person was saying, no, we shouldn't have a balanced life. We don't need the same amount of recharging and restful celebration as hard work. So we shouldn't be balanced. Okay, there are some, if I go to my doctor and my doctor tells me you need to have a balanced diet, does that mean that I need to eat the same amount of everything? Same amount of salt as protein, or the same amount of cinnamon as bread. No, a balanced diet doesn't mean the same amount of everything. It means the right amount of everything, right? And that's the same way with this. No, we won't necessarily have the same hours and minutes of each activity, but we will have a balance in our life in the sense of times of restful celebration that will recharge us and times of hard work and expending that will use up that energy and that will be healthy. We're using up our time quickly and we've still got a couple more things to say. Part of this is going to be um, with the idea of the burnout, especially learning to say no. And that's something that is very hard for a lot of people who are caring people. And I think it can be helpful a lot of times. For me, one of the, uh, the things from the Bible that is the most useful in this situation is Matthew 25. We know that parable with the virgins and the ones who, with their oil and their lamps. And some had their lamps and they brought extra oil and some didn't bring extra oil. And we know the story and it took longer than they thought and it was ended up being 
using up more resources than they thought, and so some of them ran out of their resources. And then toward the end, it says, and the foolish ones asked the wise, well, give us some of your oil. And for those of us who care about other people, that's the most natural question in the world, isn't it? Because we're used to doing that. We're used to giving of ourselves to help those around us, giving of our resources and our energy and our time so that other people's lights can shine also. But in this particular case, when Christ was giving this story, at that point he said, but the wise said, no. Because if we do, there won't be enough left to keep our light shining. And that's something we have to remember with this idea of burnout. At some point, we have to have the wisdom to say no. Because we realize if we're going to serve God long term, we have to keep our light shining also. Emotional things. Um, we talked about there, there are a number of different emotional situations that can lead to burnout, and the short answer is going to be we have to deal with them and process them. We have to be willing to face them honestly, be honest to ourselves and to God and to some others around us. Learn to reframe sometime. Um, sometimes if it's emotional things of, of losses and emotional losses, sometimes we have to learn to set new goals, and learn to trust God for the future. The biochemical things. Uh, there are, if the, if the cause of the depression is chemical, then the solution will almost always involve some chemical element. And sometimes that can be, if there's a genetic predisposition, it can mean um, a, a low dose of a certain antidepressant long-term or a certain chemical that is out of balance in the body or a hormone that's out of balance in the body, whatever that, that chemical imbalance was that began the depression, sometimes it can mean a chemical solution and that can be long-term. If the original cause was not chemical, but the chemical imbalance has happened as a result of the depression, then, all, then sometimes it's still... Uh, very helpful to have a chemical element involved in the solution to give the person in the system the energy needed to deal with the other situations so that long-term there can be a solution. Uh, sometimes that can involve a, um, a medical, a prescription medication. So for some people, it can be as simple as an herbal type things. There's St. John's wort and some other herbal things that are very helpful for some people with on the mild side of the depression to help lift the mood and give them the energy to deal with the behavioral things and the emotional things to help them work their way out of this depression. Sometimes it can be as simple as sunshine. And there are a certain kind of depression that's actually, it's called SAD, S-A-D, Seasonal Affect Disorder. And have found that actually some people are more sensitive to the chemical changes that occur in the body when they don't have enough exposure to sunlight. And so for some people, there are actually lights that you can order. Um, and if you are, they do light therapy, and it's in very much used today for certain kinds of depression. The people that are very sensitive to those 
uh, changes in the hormones because of light. And just that, that exposure to that kind of light uh, for so many hours a day can help. So there are different chemical elements. Um, then there are the spiritual side. And as I said, the, the different spiritual causes, we need to deal with them, whether it's that false guilt, um, if it's the pent-up anger or bitterness or frustration, those things that we haven't dealt with and we haven't taken to God, we need to be able to do that. And just kind of a closing thought for a lot of these things. Through confession, we release the past to God's forgiveness. By faith, releasing the future to God's sovereignty and provision. And by grace, living the present, enjoying God's acceptance and love. And reminding ourselves of those things and of those truths. And I'm sorry we have had to rush quite so much. We've tried to cover a lot in a little bit of time. Hopefully some of that will be helpful to some. Uh, it might give food for further study or further thought. And obviously we are here if you'd like to talk with us sometime.